my boys and I, we listened to a podcast, a sports podcast called The Tony Kornheiser Show. And pre-COVID, they recorded this podcast live in front of a a audience at a restaurant that was owned by Tony Kornheiser, uh, another name you might recognize, Maury Povich, the former talk show guy, and Gary Williams, the last one to lead our uh, Maryland Terrapins to a national championship. And another name that might not be as familiar to some of you, but, or most of you, but a man by the name of Alan Bubis, who is known as the DC socialite. And one morning, Dayton and myself and our other, my other two sons and our friend Rohan decided that we were going to go down into DC because the restaurant's down inside the DC line and we were gonna have breakfast at this place and, and listen to the podcast or watch them record the podcast in person. And so we got on the Metro and we went down there and we showed up and it was already packed. And we walked in and a server came to us and said to us, uh, we're sorry, the breakfast area is already full and you can stand over here if you like, uh, but we won't be able to serve you anything. You won't be able to have breakfast with us. And we said, okay. Uh, we started to talk about, well, what should we do? Well, maybe we'll stay for a few minutes, but it was several years ago and we were thinking, okay, I don't know if the boys will just want to stand here for an hour plus just to listen to this podcast, even though they enjoy it, but, but I don't think they'll want to do that. And, and, and while we were discussing what we were going to do, a man walked up to us, a very tall man walked up to us and said, may I help you? And we said, oh, well, the server already told us that there wasn't a place for us to sit and, and uh, we wouldn't be able to, to get breakfast. And, and he said, well, well, follow me. So he took us to this area that was a closed section. And he said, here, why don't you sit here? And then he said, well, would you like something to drink? And we said, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. And he said, no, no, what, what would you like to drink? And so we ordered waters and orange juices being breakfast. And, and uh, he left, he went away and he brought us back our waters and our orange juices. And he also came with some menus and he gave us these menus. And, and we were looking at the menus and I looked at this guy and I thought, you know, I think I recognize him. And so I Googled the name. You know, you gotta love the, the Google machine. It's so wonderful. Uh, I Googled the name uh, that I thought it was. And sure enough, it was this man, the DC socialite, Alan Bubis. Now, that may, again, may not mean anything to you, but, but if you were to ever meet President Obama and you ask President Obama, what do you think of Alan Bubis? Well, he might talk to you about all the times that they play golf together. Or if you met Ivanka Trump, she might tell you about how Alan Bubis's wife helped her pick out a house in the Calamar, Calarama district there. Or if you've ever attended a Washington Nationals baseball game and enjoyed that baseball stadium in that park, you could say thank you to Alan as he uh, was at one time the chair of the board that ran that entire stadium. He is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he is known as the DC socialite. This man brought us our menus and then a little bit later he came back and he said, what would you like to eat? And we ordered our food and he came and he went back and then he brought us our food and one of my sons dropped a fork on the ground and, and he picked it up and, and went and got us a new fork and when our water cups were empty, he came and he poured our water for us and when we were done, he, he bussed our table for us and, and then we paid our check and we left. And as we left, I said to my sons, I said, I hope that no matter how important you may be in people's eyes or how rich you become, that you are never too big to wait on tables for others. 
Now, of course, when we see humility like that in the world in which we live, in which so much of the world is about self and about me, myself, and I, and we see that type of humility where there's, there's, there's this glow about it. There's this, it's like this breath of fresh air. When we, when we see it in someone that we would not expect it because it's someone who, who maybe is used to being waited upon or served, and yet they humble themselves to pick a fork up off the ground, to, to refill our, our cups, to bust our table, we're even more amazed by this. So I said to my sons, follow that example. But of course, there is a greater example, and that is uh, who we are talking about today, and that is Jesus, and is found in Matthew chapter 21. And I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 21, and beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from the New International Version. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, or, uh, Beth, Beth, Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks, their coats on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I imagine on that day, I imagine on that day that it was a sunny Sunday afternoon in late March. It was late March, and I imagine that it was a beautiful day. And, and there had been a throng of people that had been walking, had been following Jesus uh, and listening to Jesus in Bethany, and now they are going with Jesus down this road to Jerusalem. They were excited. They, they sensed that, that something amazing was going to happen in the city that week. Of course, they were shocked by what actually did happen at the end of the week. But, but in this moment, there, there's this exuberance amongst them and, and they sense that something's different. There was an extra get up in their steps as Jesus was finally letting them honor him as the king who he was and is. Something that they'd always wanted to do. And, 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 and this moment gave them new life and, and joy, and it animated the people. And as they were more animated and excited walking with Jesus, others who were also walking into Jerusalem, because this was the Passover season, they, they, they were drawn to this crowd, and, and they were wondering what's going on, and, and they're looking at, at, at this man, and they see Jesus. They see Jesus, and he was following the Jewish custom for a royal entry. He rode a donkey, the same animal ridden by the kings of Israel. It is the animal that's prophesied of in Zechariah chapter nine and verse nine, which we just read in that Matthew chapter 21 verse. 
And all the people are shouting. They're, they are celebrating Jesus. They're, they're enthusiastic about Jesus. They're acknowledging who he truly is. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Ellen White wrote that, that with few exceptions, that with few exceptions, all who joined in caught the inspiration of the hour and helped to swell the Hosannas that echoed and echoed from hill to hill and from valley to valley. This moment was, was, was packed full of, of joy and celebration, acknowledging a King of kings and of Lord of lords. On that road into Jerusalem, a king was triumphantly, triumphantly entering his royal city. And so that donkey did not have to walk on dirt as other donkeys had to, did not have to step in the puddles that maybe were still there from the previous day's spring rain, it, it walked on a road of coats and palm branches. We use the phrase in our culture, they rolled out the proverbial red carpet. This is what they did. They rolled out the red carpet for, for someone who was honorable and significant and, and, and above all others. In that moment, in that time, in that space, there was no one more powerful in all of Jerusalem in the eyes of all those people. And that road in Jerusalem, uh, this king, it was a kingly road in that moment. But that road leads to where few people expect. That road leads to where few people expect. Not only the cross, but before the cross, there's, there's actually another place that that road leads that, that few of them would have ever expected to, to, to experience. Turn just over from Matthew to John chapter 13. Just a few books over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 13. And beginning in verse 1 in John chapter 13, we, we've just witnessed... Jesus, and now just four days later, it's now Thursday night, Sunday afternoon, he's, he's riding on a, on a, like I said, a proverbial red carpet. He's riding in on coats and palm branches, this kingly road into Jerusalem. And now just four nights later, the Bible tells us in John chapter 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse three. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, the one that just a few days before was riding a donkey as a king on a road covered in palm branches and coats, that road led him to this moment. Jesus, as a waiter, as a server, as someone picking the fork up off the ground, refilling the water, so to speak. No one was so exalted as Christ, and yet he stooped to the humblest duty. You and I, we can be overly familiar with this scene. We've read it, we've heard it, we've seen it. 
And we might miss how shocking this moment actually was. It was shocking to Peter. What did Peter say? We rewrite there in John chapter 13. Peter said, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. He was shocked by this moment. We can pretend to understand the gravity of this moment, but, but we can't truly experience the, the, the palpable discomfort that was in that room. When I first realized who was waiting on us at that table, I was a little uncomfortable thinking, this is the owner and this guy has so much money. And I, I told him even like, don't worry about it. He's like, no, no, I got you, I got you. Imagine though in that moment, they recognize, they understand that, that this, this man is unlike any they've ever met. And he's serving us. He, he's not too big to, to serve us. Today, we have our communion service. And the first part of that communion service is the foot washing. And why do we as Seventh-day Adventists still participate in the foot washing? This is actually the first time we're going to be doing foot washing since COVID. So over two years. Some ask, are we ever going to bring it back? Or maybe we shouldn't bring it. No, we're bringing it back. Why do we do this? When, when so much of Christendom has, has abandoned the foot washing, why do we still do foot washing? It's because in this act that Jesus is doing for the disciples is a picture of the gospel. It, is, it encapsulates the gospel. The Bible tells us in verse 10, or in verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? That's, we could unpack that whole question. That's a larger question. It's not just about this moment. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Do we understand? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This moment, this moment encapsulates the gospel. And you may say, how does it, how does it encapsulate the gospel? In Desire of Ages, this is written. In washing the feet of his disciples, Christ gave evidence that he would do any service however humble, to help them understand that they could be heirs with him of the eternal wealth of heaven's treasure. In this moment, he's saying, when he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He's saying, do you understand that I will do literally anything? I will become as humble as I need to be in order to make sure that you understand that you can experience the power and the glory and the blessing of eternal life. The road of our king, the road that's covered in palm branches and, and jackets so the donkey doesn't even have to walk on the dirt, leads to any service, no matter how humble, that would help you and I enter into the kingdom of heaven. We do this service because we are now called to enter into this service for one another. To, to, that in performing this right of foot washing, that we are pledging ourselves in like manner to live out the gospel, to, to make a covenant to one another, that we are willing to do anything to help each other and others experience the love of Jesus. No matter how humble the task is, why do we wash feet? Because it still is a humble task. It still is a humble 
moment. And no matter how humble the task is, we are saying through this service, we are committing to one another that I will do anything necessary to help you, to help my fellow brother and sister, to help those beyond our walls understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they too, that they too can have the hope and the privilege of eternity with Jesus Christ. Jesus finished those words in that moment where he said, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, Jesus said, blessed are you if you do them. Now that we know these things, blessed are we if we do them. Lord Jesus, we think of this road that you took into Jerusalem. And to us, it's a road, a holy road. It's a, it's a kingly road. But the kingly roads that we see in our world always lead to even more grandeur in the eyes of the world. But your kingly road leads to a point in which we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords get down on his knees and wash feet to remind us that there is nothing that he will not do, that you will not do. There is nothing that you would not do to save us, no matter how humble the act is. You, of course, just hours after this, prove that and that you died on a cross for us. Lord, as we participate in this service of foot washing, Lord, may in our hearts there be a covenant between one another, a covenant to the world that we say, like our king, we will do anything, no matter how humble the act, in order that people may know and understand the love of Jesus Christ that we know. Lord, we thank you. Bless us now as we go and serve one another. In your name we pray, amen.